You're listening to Grace Saves All, the podcast which exists at the spiritual intersection of Christianity and universal salvation. In this podcast, we will be exploring an ancient and modern approach to Christianity, which affirms both that grace saves alone and that grace goes to all. And now, here is David Artman, author of Grace Saves All, The Necessity of Christian Universalism. I'm pleased to welcome today to the Grace Saves All podcast, Ari Spivey. Ari produces the Failed Kingdoms YouTube channel, where he has interviewed Robin Perry and others, and even me. And I especially appreciated that interview because Ari was the first person to reach out and contact me for an interview after the Grace Saves All book came out. So thank you, Ari, for that. No problem. Ari regularly posts online about Christian universalism. Ari also produces his own music, and he has a single out, which is available on iTunes, called Burning Up, which we will be getting to shortly. I find Ari to be a very sincere person who is part of the younger generation, who is really trying to get to the bottom of a Christian spirituality that truly makes sense. So welcome, Ari Spivey, to the Grace Saves All podcast. It's good to be here. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's nice to return the favor. You were the first person to reach out and give me an interview. So I wanted to be sure and have you on uh, my podcast when I got the interviews going. Well, as I've, as I've uh, got to know you, actually, I, I kind of feel like I got to know you through the Burning Up song because there was so, there's so much autobiographical stuff in there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I think that you told me that you grew up in a fairly conservative, traditional uh, Christian background, but then you ran into some, some hardships in life and things kind of fell apart for you. And it was a part of putting things back together where you ran into the idea of universal reconciliation. So I wonder if you could just tell us that story. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so I, I grew up in a, uh, I would, if, if, if it was conservative Christian, a conservative Christian home, it was more so due to the fact that we, we just sort of inherited our um, our theology from whatever church we went to. We really weren't theologically inclined, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the whole conservative evangelical belief system was just sort of inherited. We just assumed it. And, you know, I didn't have any problem with that because, you know, I, th- I think for the most part, what conservative evangelicalism says is for the most part true. But... Uh, at some point in my life, um, I just had to deal with, I had to deal with death. I had to deal with uh, just questioning my faith when I got to, when I went to college. Um, mm-hmm. And so when I went to college, there was just a, a plethora of different issues, of different things, of different obstacles in my life that sort of made me question my faith. Yeah. And long story short, cause I don't want to make it, I, I can talk all day about it, but, okay. um, <laughs> but a- after, at the end of the day, I, I just prayed to God and I was work I was working and going to school at that time. And mm-hmm. while I was at, while I was at work, I was just like, Lord, if you're real, like give me something to cling to so I can, so I can know that you're real because mm-hmm. you know, I was, I was something I was, I was sort of like, Lord, I, I don't believe in you but I want to. Mm-hmm. And if you are, and if you are true, then I, I have faith that you'll give me something to cling to at the end of the day. So long story short, I sort of got into 
Christian apologetics and just listening to so many different Christian theologians, Christian apologists, that sort of brought me back to faith. Mm-hmm. And if anybody knows who who go who who, who goes through like a deconstruction of their faith, um, mm-hmm. it'll lead you into a more theologically robust and philosophically robust faith. And so that eventually led me into really, you know, diving into theology. And so at at some point I started dealing with the subject of hell. You know, I, at that point I was just like, look at, you know, at some point in, at some point in the past, I was like, I wasn't convinced that anything that I believe was true. So I just sort of thought, well, maybe if let's try to build this back up from the ground, you know? Mm -hmm. And so at that point, I was questioning everything about my belief system. And one of those things that I was questioning was my belief in in an, in an eternal hell. I believe and, you told me that you were reading Gregory of Nyssa. Yeah, yeah. So um, initially I I got turned on to Dave, David Bentley Hart. Um, mm-hmm. This was this this was before um, his book, That All Shall Be Saved, had ever come out. So mm-hmm. I was just more so focused on his other theological his other theological beliefs and all his talks and all his lectures so i didn't i wasn't even aware of um of christian universalism at that point but at one point somebody turned me on to one of his essays that he wrote about um it's basically a argument for the um for the impermissible for the impermissibility of um of of an eternal hell so it's basically a moral argument against against an eternal hell. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And so within that essay, he quotes Gregory of Nyssa. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, hmm, I really didn't know about the early church at that point. So at at after that, I just started diving into Gregory of Nyssa. I read a lot of his works. I, I even read, um, well, he, I even read his sister, uh, Macrina. Mm-hmm. And so... I realized I was like, wait, this guy believes that everybody's going to be saved. So I'm just reading, mm-hmm. I'm just reading what he says. And it's like, man, this seems like I never really thought of it. I just always assumed that at least somebody, at least some people were going to go to hell. But right. Gregory sort of seems as if he believes that everybody won't, or well, at least some people will, but it's going to be for a certain, for a certain period of time. And then everybody will be with God, you know, and, across you know at at the end of the uh eschatological horizon and i was like hmm i never thought about that i never really thought to consider that Mm -hmm. so after that i just started reading gregory and then on top of that i started reading origin and then isaac of nineveh and then maximus the confessor who a lot of people don't really believe that he was a universalist but i i think he was because if you look at how he says stuff if you look at his entire theological system I don't think that you can get anything else but universalism out of it. So I just started reading as much as I possibly could in terms of the early church. Mm-hmm. And they sort of, with them, along with uh, Robin Parry, you just you mentioned him, his book, The Evangelical Universalist, and then David Bentley Hart's book, That All Shall Be Saved. That was the, all of that was the encapsulation of me saying, affirming universalism. So you get to this, you get to this point, and you're also at this point doing some uh, some hip hop and some rap, and you're in, uh, mm-hmm. and, and so you're starting to rap about this, and it causes um, kind of a a problem for you in the 
in the hip hop rap Christian hip hop rap community you were a part yeah. of? Yeah. Um, so initially I was, I, I've, I've been in music for a very long time. I, I think I started, mm-hmm. we, my brother and I, I'm pretty sure he's not going to like that. I'm going to say this, but I'm gonna say it anyway, just in case you listen to it. <laughs> but we, we initially started a rap group and it was called the little saints. And mm-hmm. we were, I think we were in elementary school. And at that point I wasn't right. We weren't writing our own music. We, so it was my stepfather. My stepfather was actually in a, in a hip hop duo as well. And mm-hmm. they were pretty, they were pretty successful. They, you know, they traveled around, they traveled around the country. They did plenty of, you know, plenty of different shows in any way, but I've been rapping for a very long time. So at the point that I began to embrace universalism, I've never been a person that's been shy to, you know, that's been a person that's, that'll shy away from saying what I believe. And so I think a natural course just just came about where I just started rapping about universalism in my and in, in one of my songs at least. Mm-hmm. And that sort of threw a lot of people off. And a lot of people, a lot of the a lot of the opportunities that I had that I that were at least presented to me in terms of uh shows, in terms of, you know, even shows that potentially had a uh, financial, you know, financial opportunity was a financial opportunity. I was just yeah. basically blackballed and because of the very fact that I was preaching that everybody will be saved. And so, you know, I was just sort of pushed to the, you know, pushed to the, pushed to the side, not really, not really talked, not really spoken about a lot. You know, mm-hmm. even, even, a, even a, a, a guy who I really looked up to, he's a, he's also a hip hop, Christian hip hop artist. He basically, you know, he just basically blasted me on, uh, so, on social media and, um, th- there was just a lot of different times where I've had to be taken off. I've had to be taken off um, a roster for a particular event because some people were made aware of my belief in universalism. So it's it ha- it's been it's been tough. It's been tough to affirm the salvation of all men. Well, uh, this might be a good time. I think what I'd like to do not right now is just to play the a beginning, just a beginning segment uh, from the uh, from burning up. And uh, I'll play a little bit of the beginning, and then uh, we'll we'll just start talking about it from there. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the at the end of the podcast, uh, you've given me permission to include the whole the whole track, so people can yes, listen sir. to the whole thing. So let's just take a second now and listen to the beginning part of "Burning Up." Yeah. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. Why'd you create me if I was gonna turn out like this? Huh? So riddle me this. When they made fun of me so many times, you could have been dead, but you missed it. My honor's dead, but set my prayers, and yet you still let it go. And on my bed, anointed from head to toe, but still I failed. I feel you build this on me in hell. It's the only feasible destination. Want the best for me, but do you hella patient? Into my amazement, you seem so lazy, yet it ain't persuasive. Man, I'm going crazy. Where you at? You said you'd never leave me, right? Well, that's what I read. Saying my prayers, but feeling like pray, okay? I feel like you leave me on red. I'm in the furnace. I'm still learning. I'm still learning. Yeah, I'm burning. Yeah, I'm burning. Oh, I'm burning. Oh, I'm burning. Oh, I gotta focus. I gotta focus. Just in the bad middle way trash. Yeah, I'm burning. Yeah, I'm burning. Oh, 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 I
just feeling like fire burning my eyes i do not vibe with i do despise but it's disguised okay so the the song starts out and you kind of you kind of give us a key to the whole thing you say everything uh no everyone will be salted with fire salt is good yes sir and to me that's kind of the that's kind of a key to the to the whole thing and then the it really in a way that it kind of the song kind of feels like a psalm because psalms start out with a lot of pain mm-hmm. but then in the midst of the pain there is an expression of of faith so mm-hmm. in the first part of the in the first part of the song you talk about uh, feeling uh, like you were being made fun of and that God wasn't there. Where were you? And you experienced a death in your family and it just didn't, it just wasn't all hanging together for you. So can, can you talk about that experience some? Yeah. Um, so when I was about, I, I believe I was maybe seven, my, um, I experienced the death of my, of my aunt, her name. Mm-hmm. And, it was very, it was very hard. I mean, not at that point, it wasn't hard on me, but sooner or later, whenever I started to really think about what really, what really happened, because you know, when you're seven years old and people talk about, oh, she died. And then you see someone in a casket, you don't really, you don't really register what's mm-hmm. actually happening until you get a little bit older. And so after a while, I really, cause I, you know, I love my, I love my auntie, you know? And mm-hmm. so to, it got to a point where I really started to grasp what had ha- what had happened, you know. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, specifically knowing how she lived, she wasn't really the most committed Christian ever. So I was like, well, if she's not, then where then where did she end up, you know, eventually? And so, mm-hmm. so that was a really big thing on my heart. I was like, look, I don't know where my I don't know where my aunt is. And you know, I, I've actually spoken about it, and I spoke I've spoken about it on my last album, um, which is uh, Fell Kingdoms Part Two, and it's on the last it's on the last track called Broken. But I've really had to struggle with the fact that I didn't know where my aunt was, and even struggle with the fact that her death caused me a lot of pain, you know. And that was just something that I that I had that I still struggle with to this day. So it's not really necessarily in terms of me saying, look, I don't know if you're good, God. I just, it's such an emotional weight on me mm-hmm. that it makes it extremely difficult for me to, um, I guess, to maintain my, to maintain my allegiance to God in that sense, because that kind of, that kind of suffering is extremely difficult for me to handle personally speaking. So even in ter- even in terms of um in terms of what I say at the beginning, it's just me just sort of venting to God, just venting my frustrations mm-hmm. with him because it seems like it doesn't matter what I do, it doesn't matter how much I pray, it doesn't matter how much I do this or do that. It's almost like you're just completely absent from my life. And well, I don't seemed, Yeah, I can I could really you can really hear the and feel the the pain and the confusion and all of that. But then you get into the chorus which says i'm in the furnace i'm still learning i'm burning up i've got a focus which isn't a bad melt away trash i'm burning up i'm burning up so mm. tell us what does that what does that mean to you well it's 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 sort of you know um 
David Bentley Hart, I'll, I'll just say it. He um he has this thing where you where you, where we understand that there's um not only do you that hell is not just an eschatological uh, reality, but it's also that which you experience right now. And so, if, yeah. in, in terms of me, when I say I'm burning up, maybe I will have to experience some like kind of you know eschatological eschatological fire fires of Gehenna I don't know because you know I, I don't have it all together I'm not I, I'm I I think that I'm doing the best that I possibly can to um endure sanctification and I and I'm doing the best that I possibly can to forgive the people that I need to forgive to to uh exist in a state to exist in a state of um of loving God right now. And the thing is, is that the more and more I deal with that, which just makes me, just makes me want to rebel against God. That's the, that's the burning up part that I'm trying, that I'm trying to deal with because I feel as Mm -hmm. if God is working, God is trying, God is trying to work through me right now. And that is kind of hell because right now I have to, like it really hurts trying to deal with the fact that God allowed my aunt to die, you know, and for me to be at least to the to be at least to this point to be okay with it. So that's sort of like fire to me. Like that, it really does burn. Figuratively speaking, it really does burn my soul mm-hmm. to a sense because I really have to deal with that which makes me unkept for for have um for for god for god's presence so you know in in a particular scripture uh jesus says that it's better for you to uh to cut off a, to cut off an arm than to uh and, and enter and enter into the um and enter into the afterlife armless and then mm-hmm. i'm paraphrasing and then <laughs> <laughs> and it's um and it's not okay so i i even think right there that's the whole thing all will be salted with fire. So I think people are being salted with fire right now. And I think there are people who are going to be salted with fire in the next life. And so for us, this is what I think Christians have to go through now. I think Christians are being salted with fire right now as we speak, because that is sanctification. And so for me, I'm doing the best that I possibly can to endure the purification of my soul that God is trying to enact right now. Yeah. And so that's, well, me, that's basically what I was trying to say. Yeah, let me uh, just, uh, I can't get into, there's a lot of, there's a, you've got a lot packed into this song. There's just some, I'll just go through some of the things that stood out to me. The part where you say, thinking I'm a king, but I'm really a peasant. Offer your presence, chiseling the shadows away. Sinners will battle, okay, but to your gavel you pay, dragging us into the kingdom and hacking away the poisonous stuff in the way. Mm. I mean that that to me is saying a lot of those same types of things. Yeah, and that's you know that's the whole that's the whole point about the um, honestly it's not really a universalist song per se because I think a lot of people well obviously it does at the very end of the second yeah verse. I'm gonna get to that yeah but um, specifically there I think that I think everybody can pretty much recognize that because especially for Christians you know Christians. We have to deal with we have to deal with the we have to deal with the darkness inside of that that is inside of us right now as we speak. 
you know, that's that's a part of us. That's a part of us becoming like Jesus. It's to it's to voluntarily allow God to purge that which is not like him within, um, you know, from inside of from, mm-hmm. from within us. And so that's basically what I'm trying to say. And this, so it's, it's pretty much like a, a two tier kind of thing. So I'm talking about. Christians having to go through sanctification and endure sanctification now. And then on the other side of the eschatological horizon, also those who may have, you know, been somewhat, and I guess, uh, you know, in defiance of God mm-hmm. due to, you know, due to the shadowiness of the shadowiness of sin in their life, having to endure the fires of Gehenna at the um, eschatological horizon. But and this, but but the, the whole point is, is that at the end of the day is for our good and is for corrective and um, reparative purposes. Yeah, you've got that phrase in there, dragging us into the kingdom and hacking away the poisonous stuff in the way. And that makes me think of, uh, you know, the passage where Jesus talks about, if I'm lifted up, I will draw or really drag all people to myself. And then the, yes. in Matthew 25, the purifying or the, the, the correction is described uh, in the parable of the sheep and the goats as Colossus, which mm-hmm. is hacking away the stuff that doesn't belong, hacking away the bad stuff. It's, it's so that you can, so that you can be healthy. Mm-hmm. And so I, I picked that up. And then, um, let's see, uh, whether you like it or not, his mercy is forever. He loves you. He loves you and he'll never stop. You'll never be lost forever. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty strong statement. Yes. <laughs> and I'm, ta- I'm taking that. I'm taking that from Paul in, uh, in Romans. I believe it's Romans 11. I can't uh-huh. recall. I can't. It's in chapter 11. But he, but basically, Paul says that God is cause all men to be um to be in to basically be in disobedience so that he ha- so that he shall have mercy on everyone so yeah that's at romans 11 i think it's 32 I and then right 32. after that 33 there's this doxology you know yeah. so that romans 11 32 is kind of the ending of paul's argument mm-hmm. there from romans all the way th- yeah yeah yeah, yeah so, so that's really yeah so that's that's basically what I, that's basically what i'm saying you know um it may seem as if it may appear as if you know those who are bound in disobedience, which Paul is basically talking about the Jews at that point, he, it seems as if um, those people are cast are cast off for um, are cast off for good, but it's purely for a it's purely in terms of a momentary a momentary casting casting off a momentary disobedience, so that the Gentiles basically the Gentiles can come in and then at the very end the fullness of the the fullness of the Jews will come in. And so everybody will have mercy after well God will have mercy on everybody at the very end. And so it's basically just saying, look, God won't give up on you. It may seem it may and God won't give up on on your loved ones. It may seem as if that's the case, but the whole point is is that that the person, the person that you're so concerned about that that is in that's living a life in disobedience. It's because God. It's because God put them in that situation. It's because God put them in that situation. But it's for the sake of their soul. It's for the salvation of the of that of that person's soul. And then there is, um, uh, well, the part where it says uh, the good we desire it naturally, and it's pervasive through rational faculties. Yes. And then now that to me. Is I'm hearing your argument about that that it's not a denial of our free will, right? 
in order to come home to God, but but really the fulfillment of a freed will yeah. going the direction, uh, the way you put it, the good we desire it naturally. And and when I follow you on the kinds of things you're posting on on Facebook and things, uh, that that's that was a real big. That's a real. That's something that's really important to you about the idea of freedom of the will and. Mm-hmm. So tell me how you work through that. Because some people would say, well, Christian universalism, you know, if God is forcing us in or dragging us in, then that's that's violating our free will. But you don't see it that way. So no. let's well, talk I, about I, that a little bit. I guess I would disagree. I guess I would have to disagree with the whole modern concept of uh, libertarian freedom because I'm just basically appealing to what to what Jesus says. I believe it's in John. I can't, re- I can't recall. I think it's John six, John six, nine, I believe. But Jesus basically says that whoever, whoever sins is a slave to sin. So mm-hmm. you're in bondage to sin, but excuse me, but to know, but to know the truth, it will make you free. So the whole point is, is that to not sin anymore is to literally be in to literally be so in tune with the truth that it makes it almost psychologically and even imp- I would even say impossible to uh, entertain sin because the whole point is is that your 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 ration your basically your rational freedom is only free is only free in terms of how in terms of how well you know God, in a sense, because well, and how well you actually understand who you how are well you and who and, and who, yeah. So, so somebody, God, yeah. yeah. So if somebody is not in possession of the actual facts about the situation, then they can't make a free will decision about it because they don't actually know what's what's going on. Right, and you know, you know, in the in the second in the second verse, you know, a lot of people say a lot of people have a problem with the very fact that I said dragging dragging us into the kingdom. And it's yeah. like, well, if you understand, like, if you truly understand, if you truly understand who you are in terms of, you know, in relation to who God is, in, in relation to who you are, then yeah. you'll understand that that whole dragging us into the kingdom is literally your freedom. Like, that's literally what it is. It may seem, and it, like, we're so, we're so, we're so used to um, God we're so used to like seeing God as this opposing force in our will. But the point is, is that God is already inherent is, is already inherent to the structure of our, to the structure of our rational, of our rational natures. And so the whole point is, is that if God is that, which is that, which I guess completes your completes your um is the end to your rational nature, then to, to say that, God has, God is forcing you to, um, God is forcing you to love him or God is forcing you to choose him. That's the complete opposite of God, of God violating your will. That's actually God freeing your will. Well, it was David Bentley Hart's analysis of, of all of that, that he did. He did that in an, in an essay, uh, ahead of that, uh, ahead of, uh, that all shall be saved. But then he put that in the book too. But to me, that was one of the most powerful parts of his argument because that was my that was one of my problems because I, I I was saying okay well God is good and God is going to try to do everything possible to bring everybody home 
but there's mm-hmm. going to be some people that are just going to resist and there's not there's not going maybe there's nothing God is going to be able to do but mm-hmm. but I think and, and what was interesting to me is is what really helped me was a philosophical and logical working through that mm-hmm. um, and then to me that was where that's why that that philosophy and theology need to need to kind of work hand in hand to help us work out a theology that actually philosophically makes sense as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you know, one of the because you know, I even had this, I even had this objection to, you know, at that point I did believe in libertarian freedom, but so I had an objection and I was like, okay, well, let's just say I do make it into heaven. Now the whole point of libertarian freedom is that it's indeterminate. So it's it's not that it's not determined by any prior by any prior causes. And so the whole the whole point was I found it extremely uncomfortable when I heard people say that because because our free will requires um, requires that it's possible that you're able to do contrary to a that you can do B and not do a that sort of made me think well that means that even if you're in heaven you could possibly renounce god and and it's like because that's that's the whole point of libertarian freedom there's always this possibility within a human freedom well within yeah within a human within within human freedom that you could choose otherwise so it's like well that all that also applies to the human will in heaven so basically, so that made me extremely uncomfortable. But what happens is that when I heard about this intellectualist model of freedom that um, Dr. Hart puts puts forth in his um and th- that that all shall be saved is that what happens is that if his if his model of freedom is true, then whole consummation with God would render it will render a rational spirit incapable of sin. So that makes more sense to me. That makes more sense as an explanation as to why people won't sin in heaven. Because the whole because point the, is, the, the choice just becomes more and more and more clear. Right. Until finally it would be ridiculous. It would, it would be absolutely be like, ridiculous. Yeah, it would be like somebody that was uh that was um dying of thirst, refusing to, to refusing to drink water. Right. You know, it just it, it finally it just it just becomes nonsensical and the idea that you would that you would uh that you could rationally make the the most irrational decision of all which would be to to uh to turn away from the destiny for which you've been created right the the most irrational decision of all that just the, the more you think about it it just uh, it just doesn't make sense and to me that was an important key once once that fell into place it really it really helped me see that that there was a kind of almost inevitability to the victory the ultimate victory of god and and then that that started making me think more about the sovereignty of god too because if god is sovereign and then it's finally god has constructed a creation to to reach a certain purpose and i thought david bentley hart did a good job with this too where he talked about how it that that the the end of creation is not is not just the end of creation; it's the revelation of the moral character of God. Because however the creation ends up, is the way God intended it from the beginning. 
Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the end is in the beginning. And then once I start thinking about all that, so, all the sovereignty questions and the free will and that God would be all in all and, and how that all, and, and how there were early church fathers that were thinking all of this, it was like, oh, I, I think I'm home. I think, <laughs> I think, I think this is a place where I can be Christian. And it really makes philosophically, it holds together philosophically, theological, biblically, it, it finally, it all fits together. Yeah. I agree. It's it's kind of frustrating, though. It's like you have this aha eureka moment, and then a lot of people are already committed to a different kind of theology. But from their understanding, it's not a, a theological tradition that they're committed to. It's the truth that the Bible says. So when you start talking about your understanding of things, they start to say, "Well, you're you're a heretic, or you don't believe the Bible, or you know mm-hmm. those types of things." So it is kind of it, it, it can be kind of frustrating, which is why I think it's important for us to have some community and reach out to each other, have these podcasts and conversations so we can talk and people can listen in and realize that, you know, you're not alone if you're starting to think this way. Right. You, you know, it's it's so much it's so difficult, even in terms of where I am now, because I, you know, I think I've told you this. Um, I've recently well, I haven't I haven't converted yet, but in terms I've. I'm embracing Eastern Orthodoxy and even in terms of Eastern Orthodoxy it's extremely difficult to talk about the idea of universal, universal reconciliation, because even then, not only do I have to deal with, not only do I have to deal with all of the scriptural proof texts that people bring up, like it's basically the same exact thing that you have to deal with in evangelicalism and even Protestantism. But even on top of that, we adhere to, the seven the seven great ecumenical councils. So right. there's also an appeal to, um, I think it's the second council of Constantinople. And it's like, because, you know, in, in terms of um, Justinian's um, 15 anathemas. And so like, I even have to deal with that now, you know, I have to do, I have to do, not right. only do yeah. I have to deal with the scriptural stuff, I have to also deal with the very fact that it's probably that one council in the past probably condemned universal reconciliation, which it didn't, but you know, so it's I can I can get that. So I actually feel it absolutely necessary to surround myself with people that are like minded. You know, yeah, it becomes a, a that fifth general council is a very complex thing to try to to try to pull apart and understand exactly exactly what happened. It's one of the most controversial councils in in all of church, yeah, um, in all of church in all of church history. But what 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 makes me feel good is that, you know, people like David Bentley Hart and like Al Kimmel and, you know, people that, um, people that are really, that have really studied all of this can say that there was in the condemnation, there was a condemnation of origin and, and then there's anathemas. And then there's a question about whether they were ever really ratified or not. Mm-hmm. But what, what happened was there was a lot more that was going on than just a simple proposition that, that in the end, God would successfully win all of God's children back mm-hmm. to himself. There was all kinds of other philosophical ideas that were floating around, and there's the question about the salvation of the devil. There's, There was all kinds of things that were, that it, it all became one giant mess, basically. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, and, and so, you know, yeah, you know, because um, I've, I've literally, I've had to deal with it so much that I've, it's, it's almost like it's just 
right off just right off the rip i know i know what i know what i need to say i know how to, i know how i need to respond but mm-hmm. it's just that it's so contestable like that the whole the whole entire history around the fifth council is so contestable not all of it but specifically the the uh the anathemas and now it's just like okay one origin was not condemned it was a particular set of beliefs that became that became known as origin that that became known as originism. It wasn't actually origins. It wasn't actually origins beliefs. So it was a particular set of beliefs that you have to take as a whole. And I don't know any Orthodox. I don't know. I don't know any Eastern Orthodox Christian Universalists who believe any who believe any of that that encompass that particular belief system. So it's like, did it condemn? Did it condemn Universalism? Well, yeah, sure. It condemned a, an entire belief system. And you can't take one out of the, you can't take one out of it. You have to take it as a whole. And the point is, is that no, we don't believe in the preexistence of souls. Origin probably didn't either. So it's like just to, it's just become so automatic now that it's like okay, well, fine, okay, you say fifth, the well, fifth council. What's interesting to me is sort of on the Protestant side of things. You know, if you start talking about Christian universalism. Somebody, somebody on the Protestant side will say, "Well, the church condemned it," and I'll, you know, I think that's kind of funny because, well, the whole point of being one of the big points of being Protestant is is, is that the idea that, <laughs> that you're so the, council, to, the councils are fallible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they, we're not, we're not, we're not just you know bowing down to the church councils and traditions and stuff like that. Mm. And so I understand it's a little bit of a different situation when you're on the Eastern Orthodox. Uh, side of things, and and you are saying, okay, we are going to, uh, we are going to look at these councils. From the way I sort of take it is that, is in Eastern Orthodoxy, if you're going to do this, you need to take them seriously. You mm-hmm. need to take what they say seriously. But even you know, even at high levels of the Orthodox faith, there are different um, people take the the Fifth General Council seriously, but they have different interpretations. Exactly what it means. So they could still say, yeah, I take the Fifth General Council seriously, but mm-hmm. I also realize that there's a lot of interpretation that goes into understanding what it actually all meant. And the, the historical question of were the, were the anathemas even attached to the actual, to the legitimate right. council? So it's like, so so for me, it's just like, okay, well, I don't believe that the, that the anathemas were actually attached to the conciliar council. So I don't even try to debate it. It's just like, look, it's contestable. And I mean, it may be, it may not be the case. So can we, can we, obviously it's a, it's a very important question because you're talking about Mm -hmm. the councils that are infallible, but at the end of the day, it's just like, look, man, we can, we can debate this all day, but historians disagree on whether or not the, uh, the anathemas are actually, should actually be placed with the official council. So can we just get down to, can we just get down and get get yeah, down to the it, scripture and the philosophical discussion around and universalism? Usually, and usually for people that are thinking about church councils, um, the idea is that, okay, the way it works is there the Pope, you know, is there and um the Pope wasn't even at this council. He, you know, he didn't want <laughs> he, to be he, he refused to go. Be, he refused to go. And uh, you know, basically he got arm twisted into uh, going along with it months after the council had concluded, so there was all kinds of really strange things that were mm-hmm. that were going on with that council. Yeah. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about, I think it's interesting, your idea about failed kingdoms. Yeah. And that's a kind of a provocative, that's kind of a provocative two, two words, failed and kingdoms. And certainly, here's kind of what I'm hearing you say about this, is that they're the kingdoms of this world. And the kingdoms of this world basically run on um, a lot of, of violence and um, and uh, threatening, and um, whereas the kingdom that you're you're interested in is one that doesn't that doesn't run that way. Uh, mm-hmm. So just talk a little bit about how you came up with that term, failed kingdoms, and what that means to you. Yeah, well, um, po- politic politically speaking, I, I I've I know I know that. You know, like I said, I've, I'm pretty vocal about what I believe. Politically speaking, I'm I would say I'm I'm liber I'm a libertarian, and or I would actually lean like really strongly towards anarchism, where I don't believe that um, that I I don't believe that the state should exist in a sense, and or or at least rather I believe that um, a society ought to be formed through consensual through consensual means of. Um, of cooperation, I would say. And I don't think that you have that now in terms of what a constitutional republic is in terms of the United States. So I don't think it I don't think it should exist. I think we should replace it with a different form of of government. But the whole but the whole point is is that I'm basing that off of what I find in scripture. So the the, the thing is is that when you have a when you have a system that is predicated on violence, I think one that runs contrary to what God intends, which is to, which is loving, you know, love, love of thy neighbor, which is um, compassion for the poor, compassion for, for the downtrodden, compassion for the widow. And so for me, when you have a, when you have a system like the one that we live in now, that's not, that's actually predicated on the opposite, which is, which is coercion. I think that it will inevitably descend into chaos in a sense and i think that that sort of is contested to in terms of history so the vast majority of the vast majority of systems that have been erected throughout the throughout the centuries of the um throughout the centuries of of human of human history they've all collapsed inevitably due to the fact that these systems tend to descend into chaos the more and more power you hand over to the government and so for me I think that I, th- I think that where we need to be going is, is is to more so of a decentralized way of governing society is a, a more decentralized way of governing how we interact with each other and it needs to be predicated on voluntary voluntary interactions with each other and so the, for, go yeah. ahead and yeah cool. so so for me the whole Felkin, the whole Fel Kingdoms thing is predicated on the idea that if you if you place if you place your faith in these in these in these secular state systems, I think you're necessarily placing your faith in something that will inevitably collapse. And so I think instead what we ought to place our um place our, our faith in is the very fact that we are we are uh we are citizens of a different of a different nation, and that is the rightful kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I think Jesus explicitly ex- explicitly rejected um, rejected state power, 
when in the in the gospels satan just basically says look i own i own all of this all you have to do is bow down and worship me and i'll give i'll give all of this to you and it's like well jesus explicitly renounced explicitly renounced state power explicitly renounced the idea of coercive coercive government and i think we should do the same well, one of the things that was when I started thinking about Christian universalism and what is the gospel, I started looking really a lot strong, more strongly at Jesus' announcement about the good news of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And so he's in this super oppressive situation. And right in the middle of it, he says, good news, the kingdom of God is here. And everybody's like, what? <laughs> we're, we're all being oppressed. How can the kingdom of God be here? And mm-hmm. Jesus int- introduces this completely different vision of life. It's like you don't have to, you don't have to resist these uh, these people that are oppressing you. As a matter of fact, right. if they oppress you, if they ask you to carry their pack, you know, carry it. If they ask you to carry it a mile, carry it two miles. Mm-hmm. And you might also ask them if they're thirsty or if they're hungry. Now, mm-hmm. um, you know, don't don't resist the evil doer. I mean, these are uh, love your enemies, do good to the people who persecute you. This is a whole different way of looking at uh, being alive. Don't worry about the people who can kill you. Right. Um, it's a very disturbing, in, in, in a way, it's a dis- what, the more you really look at it, I'm not exactly sure what to do with it, but right. it's a completely, nobody in the history of humanity ever gave a more striking vision than did Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in his message about the kingdom of God. And I think basically it's such a difficult thing for us to understand that Christianity really just hasn't known, known what to do with it. Right. And so and another thing that struck me is, is how Jesus was concerned about violence, so concerned about violence. Right. And he warned people about this sinful and corrupt generation. And when you look at his teaching, what, were, what was the problem? Well, they were embracing violence and they didn't really even understand how violent they were. And their violence was going to lead them into a war with Rome. And the people were going to think, if you, if, if we go into the city of Jerusalem, we'll be safe there. And Jesus is basically saying, this whole shooting match is headed toward Gehenna. But right. once I started sort of putting all that together, it made the judgment language of Jesus and the, the warnings about Gehenna and all that stuff, it made all of that make much more sense to me in its historical right. context. Yeah, you know, and so 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 fellow kingdoms is basically it's just embracing is it's embracing the king it's embracing what what we believe or at least now it's just me but embracing <laughs> the kingdom of God and what Jesus has established what Jesus has taught like to be to be his to be to be truly his is to be a peacemaker you know and so for us or for me <laughs> for me. <laughs> Um, it's basically renouncing, renouncing the kingdoms, the kingdoms of this world and embracing and embracing God's kingdom. That's basically what we're saying. So it's what I'm saying. So, (laughs) so felt kingdoms is just, just the affirmation that, um, all sec, all secular kingdoms, maybe God, maybe God is steering them to a certain place. Maybe, you know, Romans Romans 13 seems to indicate that he's steering them to a certain place. And so we don't we, we don't advocate for, you know, overtaking of the government. We don't advocate for forcefully or violently, you know, resisting the government. We don't advocate for any of that. We just advocate for an ideal 
for an ideal that probably won't ever happen until at the very, very, very end of society. So we're just basically affirming, we're basically affirming the, we're basically affirming the new Jerusalem before it even happens. That's basically well, what we're saying. Well, to me, what's interesting is that you're trying to, to me, this, this fits in with your overall trying to find something that's philosophically, theologically, biblically coherent. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to, and you're trying to, to fit, you're trying to fit all of this together. So I see it all connecting. To me, yeah. this connects with your Christian universalism and your, uh, just your way to be uh, consistent in in all of your thinking. And yeah. and one thing that's interesting about the is that a lot of people might think all this stuff, but you like put it out there and you mm-hmm. rap about it. <laughs> you're really public about all of it and. If anybody that follows you on Facebook, you get into lots of extended conversations with people who take exception, mm-hmm. you know, to what you say. So you're you're really not afraid to go there, are you? Uh, I'm not. I do my best. I do my best. But, uh, you know, I mean, now I, I'm sort of uh, I'm sort of, calm, you know, calm down a little bit. You know, I you know, I have a I have a daughter now. And so I, I really ask don't... you about that, about what is fatherhood? How has that kind of mm-hmm. changed you and affected and affected you? Yeah. So, um, but, but, you know, I, I just really don't, I just really don't get, well, I get into it a little bit, you know, cause that's just, I think that's just a part of who I am. I like to, I like to get into those kind of, those kinds of discussions, but, yeah. um, I'm not afraid. I, I guess I'll say that. Um, but in terms of, in terms of having a daughter, it's made, it's made me, it's made me realize just how much of a responsibility, you know, basically keeping another person alive is, so, um, it's just, it's, it's extremely, it's extremely, uh, it's, it's a blessing and it's, it's very challenging, but mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever been as joyful as I am now. She's, she's a beautiful little girl and she makes me, she makes me smile. And honestly, it just made me, I mean, obviously I don't, well, this is a, uni- this is a Christian universalism podcast, but it's just made me, it's made me, it's made me more joyful about the very fact that I know that when I pass and she's probably still going to be alive, I know for a fact that I'll, I'm going to experience the rest of eternity with my daughter, knowing that she's there with me, knowing that she's experiencing just as much bliss and joy and happiness as I am with God. So well, I, I've talked with some people who, who said that actually their being a Christian made them wonder if they wanted to have children. Because they yeah. weren't sure what the destiny of their children would be, and how could they live with themselves if they brought somebody into existence who then end up, ended up being tortured forever? Mm. And then, and then the explanation is given that, well, in heaven that won't bother you. Yeah, horrible explanation. I mean, it's it's right. I mean, I, th- I guess God can make you not care. You know. Or, but then, but, well, then, well, then, and David Bentley Hart does a good job in the, in about what is the nature of a person. Yeah. Once you start removing, are, are you still you? If if I can somehow remove from you the memory, the very memory of your daughter. Yeah. I don't think you. I don't think you would. Uh, it's, it's, it's it's like the uh, the case of uh, Theseus Theseus Theseus's ship. It's like how much do you? How much of his ship do you remove and replace? before it's not the same, you know, it's not the same ship again. So I think, I mean, this is obviously a philosophical thing, but the whole point is, is that I don't actually think that I, um, 
that I could actually truly and genuinely be happy knowing that my daughter possibly has to suffer eternal loss, you know, you know, eternal misery. And obviously I would say, well, God could make us just be happy, but it's like, well, how much is that of my own doing? You know, how much is that? Well, uh, yeah, we're also, we're also taught to love even our enemies. So if we love these people and then we're naturally concerned about them, Mm. you know, it's, it, that, that just seems to be a problem that, that becomes, I think, a, a really big philosophical problem about how can we be, how can we retain our understanding of who we are? Because we think that, you know, we're these discrete, we might be tempted to think we're these discrete beings, but actually yeah. we're interconnected in all kinds of subtle and different ways. And once you start undoing all of that, I guess that's another reason that Christian Universalism's universalism started making more sense to me is because I started seeing that that we as a humanity are essentially connected in a way that you can't pull us apart. Yeah. I, I can't, it's, it kind of what happens to us has to sort of happen to all of us mm. somehow in order for it to all work and, and make sense. Uh, the more yeah. I started thinking about it. Yeah. You know, um, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't uh, David Bentley Hart, but I, th I. I think it was Robin Parry in his um, in his book, The Evangelical Universalist. You know, and he was dealing with the the problem the problem of hell, and he was dealing with some of the the explanations that philosopher William Lane Craig puts up in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, how how can how can the redeemed be happy knowing that such and such is in you know is in you know is in hell and whatnot and i think craig says one god could just basically give us this kind of mental lobotomy where mm -hmm. he, he could just delete all all memories of um of that person that you lost and it was like well first of all that sort of causing that, co that sort of brings into question okay how much what if that person? What if that? What if that person played a role in your coming to Christ? So now, while you're there, you're trying to remember. I'm pretty sure you're going to remember. <laughs> your, you're going to remember your testimony, how you came to Christ. It is like, well, this person, this person led me to Christ. I don't remember who it is. So it's like, right? Like it's literally going to be, like, it's, like it's, I know that I know that I know there was this person. I know I, they. I don't know who it is though. So that's just so that'll literally bring up that'll literally bring up an idea. It was like, okay, well, if I can't remember who it was, who was it? Like, who was it, and where is this person? So you'll you'll probably be like, well, I gotta know. Like, I gotta know. This is like, yeah, this person played a role in me being, like, you know, played a role in me um, obtaining eternal life in a sense. That's a really big. That's a really big deal. I want to know who this person is. Uh -huh. But you'll never, but you'll basically never find out. And it's like, well, eventually you'll find out. I'm pretty sure you'll get to know everybody while you know while you're there. But and you'll never find them. That's kind of that's kind of questionable to me. And so yeah, so I, it's, I like, it's just like, like how much how much can you remove? How much can you remove? How many how much memory can you remove before you're not the same person anymore? I, I like Robin Perry's story because he uh, he it, it's these it's these more traditional conservative folks that he's reading, but he says, wait a second, the, the argument doesn't make sense. So another thing that William Lane Craig um, uh, argued is that God could 
bring everybody to salvation without uh, without affecting their free will. So God could preserve free will and bring everybody to salvation. And Robin Perry got really excited about this argument, but then he kept reading, and the argument that William Lane Craig made was, but God has decided not to do it. And so Robin Perry said he was in church, and the music was playing, and they were getting ready to sing a hymn, and he was thinking about, how can I worship a God that could preserve everybody's free will and bring everybody to a good conclusion, but then decided not to? And he said he was in church and he couldn't sing. Ooh, man. Yeah, that's, that, that story's in the evangelical universalist. And then I, another thing that he does is he talks about how um, he was reading N.T. Wright, and N.T. Wright was really focusing. And I, you have to really look at not just individual passages of Scripture, but you have to ask, what is the whole narrative arc of the Bible? What is the big story that's being told? Mm-hmm. And so Robin Perry said he started doing that, and he couldn't work it out because— it always seemed to work at as some kind of partial failure for God. That, in other words, God's everything's good, and then it falls away, and God gets some of it back. You know, it didn't really seem like a victory, mm-hmm. and and it's just interesting how um, a lot of these things that we're believing are things that have been a part of the Christian faith for a long time, and they were there in the early part of the the early century of the church, and we're just kind of claiming it and saying, listen, these guys and gals put it together in a pretty good way back then. I think we can reclaim it, mm-hmm. and 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 I think it's still as vibrant today as it was back in the early centuries of the church. And I mean, that's cool that it's, that it's not something new that we're making up here. You know, and I, th- I think it's just a beautiful, it's a beautiful narrative. You know, it's and it's, it's symmetrical, it's symmetrical, you know, there's, mm-hmm. you know, at, at, at point A is beautiful, point B, it falls, point C, mm-hmm. it all goes back to, it all goes back to a, uh, to a restored state. It's like the symmetrical, this, you know, how symmetrical it is, it makes it a beautiful story. And then on top of that, and the middle of it, you have, you have God coming down incarnating in, incarnating as a human and basically taking taking up the mantle of um, of basically the ruler of creation that Adam just basically screwed screwed us over with and he's just basically reestablishing the role of God in the universe and it's like when you don't have a universalist when you don't have a universalist conclusion to it it's the asymmetricalness of it just makes it look like an ugly story. Like it's just like, yeah, like the universality of of creation under Adam, beautiful. Adam falls, then you just have Christ establishing the universe, the the seeming universality of creation, but only partially winning some of it back. And it's like. That's not a pretty that's, that's not a pretty that's not a beautiful picture. So I just yeah. think that the beautifulness the beautifulness of and the symmetricality of the universalist framework I just find it to be even aesthetically more appealing than any other than any other uh, theological position. Yeah, once you once you see it it's really hard to unsee it. Mm. 
very you know, difficult. It's, it's very just, difficult. Because <laughs> it just really, it, it really all works together so well. Mm. Well, Ari, we've been, we've been going at this almost an hour now. Tell yes, people sir. how they can um, uh, find out more. Uh, they can, I know they can follow you at Failed Kingdoms. They can look that up and you've got other music that's out there. So yes, sir. Uh, tell us just all the different ways that people can uh, follow you or get in touch with you or how that works. Yes, sir. Um, well, you can go and start by uh, subscribing to my YouTube channel. Um, I'm, I'm actually, I post, I post a lot of different, a lot of different content. I post music videos. I post my music. Um, I post a lot of content about Christian universalism over there. Um, just a lot of different things, a lot of commentary videos, because I'm really big into comic books, really big into movies and stuff like that. So a lot of social, a lot of societal kind of stuff. So you can follow me over there if you're interested. Um, a lot, all of my music are, are not all of my music, but a lot of my music is on a lot of different uh, digital streaming platforms like iTunes, Amazon, uh Apple Music, Spotify, it's, it's on, it's on all, it's everywhere. And it's also on SoundCloud. That's where the majority of my music is. And you can also like my Facebook page, which is just Feld Kingdoms, period, not period, but just Feld Kingdoms. And you can <laughs> like it over there and you can just follow us. Well, follow me and keep up with whatever I, I have going on. Well, Ari, it's been uh, really interesting to get to know you and, and, uh, I, I enjoy following some of the things that you say. Sometimes it's like, way to go, Ari. And it's like, wow, Ari. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's just kind of fun. You're just kind of, to me, it's really neat that you feel so free to just be expressing yourself and to be in, in process. And I think that's, uh, I think that's really cool. And so uh, we'll just uh, take it out now on your, uh, on the, on the burning up. Yes, sir. Uh, you're burning up, uh, your burning up song and just appreciate you and looking forward to uh, seeing what you're going to be thinking and talking about in the future. So uh, God bless you. Okay. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. All right. Talk to you later. Yes, sir. Yeah. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. Why'd you create me if I was gon' turn out like this? Huh? So riddle me this When they made fun of me so many times You could've been dead but you missed it My honest dead but set my present Yeah, you still let it go And on my bed anointed from head to toe But still I failed, I feel you bailed this on me in hell It's the only feasible destination Want the best for me? Well, do you hella patient? Into my amazement You seem so lazy and it ain't persuasive Man, I'm going crazy, where you at? You said you'd never leave me Right, but well, that's what I read Saying my prayers but feeling like pray Okay, I feel like you leave me on red Just feeling like fire, burning my eyes I do not vibe with, I do despise But it's disguised in what I be hiding And it's desire to move to an island Be my own pilot, so I reject Whatever you said, I probably regret it Thinking I'm king, but I'm really a peasant I feel your presence, chiseling shadows away Sin is a battle, okay But to your gavel you pay Dragging us into the kingdom and hacking away The poison is stuffing away Invaded hell and paid my bill Lake of fire, purifying every liar Took the keys from death and he won't retire To the hope of Roma is redeemed beside him. I'm in the furnace. I'm still learning. I'm still learning. Yeah, I'm burning. Yeah, I'm burning. Oh, I'm burning. Oh, I'm burning. Oh, I'm burning. Oh, I'm burning. Oh
whatever he loves you and he'll never stop You'll never be lost forever Yahweh he won't let up It's better than parents we got It's better than living your life for yourself It's better than living for wealth I thought you could tell Buddy, think about it for a second Light on, you desire good man Where is that from? The good we desire it naturally And it's pervasive through rational faculties Even apostasy, every week casualty Scoffers and mockers concede to a tacitly God is the one we desire So many titles to pity the blind Sin it refines and poisons the mind But God is prepared to cleanse it with fire I'm in the furnace I'm in the furnace I'm still learning I'm still learning Yeah I'm burning yeah.